Well, good morning. If I told you lately that I love you, you're just the best. Tell you what. Welcome to Courageous. This is the series that takes us through the life, the story, and the times of Joshua. If you have a Bible, go with me to the sixth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 is where we are, and then you want to open to that passage, and then you want to also put a marker in Romans chapter 5. We'll be there later. Romans chapter 5. Today I want to talk with you about what it means to have faith, personal faith. I want to talk about the faith factor, because faith is the dividing line. This is huge. This is really big. We have lots of dividing lines in the, in the society where we live. None of them matter quite like this one. God the Father considers two classifications of people or two places where people are. They're people either of faith or outside of faith, not there. He doesn't see us in different classes, different economic, different educational, different vocations, different ethnicities, different preferences. That, all that melts away. He sees us either as people of faith or without faith. And this is a big deal. There are only two women mentioned in Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, the hall of faith, hall of fame of faith, and those two women are Rahab and Sarah. Sarah was an insider to the faith. She was married to Abraham. Abraham would be the father of the nation that we would call Israel today. He's the father of the land that would be called the Hebrew people, which would then would march into the promised land, and they'd become the Jews, and the Jews would become the land of Israel even today. So if you're Abraham, you're married to Isaac, you're pretty much in. I mean, this is... You know, it's a great woman of faith. Well, just as great a woman of faith as Sarah was, that's how different Rahab was. She was about a 180-degree different person than Sarah, ungodly in every way you could uh, quantify her. She was a Gentile, not Jewish or Hebrew, so she was an outsider. She lived in a, in a city, Jericho, that was known for its idol worship and known for its pagan gods. And on top of all that, she was a prostitute. She was a hooker. And so here you have this stark contrast of these two women in Hebrews chapter 11. And yet, God's word mentions both of them. It seems with equal status. And why is that? It's because of their great faith. Rahab's story reminds us that God doesn't, doesn't really keep score the way we do. He keeps score based upon our faith. That's what he's really looking for. Sarah had steps of faith all the way along, we realize that, but what Rahab had was she had to do a whole reversal, repentance, and then had leaps of faith, huge. Her starting point was way different, and I tell that to you to say this, that you may be far from God, or you may have a son or daughter who's very far from God, and just so you know, God doesn't give up, nor should you, and no one is outside of the realm of turning to the Lord and coming in faith. I think the people far away from the Lord in faith, I think it's actually easier for them to turn around and see this stark contrast. I think people who are close, good people, it's harder for them to enter the kingdom. And I'm not alone in that opinion. Jesus actually said that. It's hard for those who are in so close, rich people, those who people who think they've arrived, hard for them to make it. Why? Because they think they can make it on their own. So what the Lord is looking for is personal, convincing, to the core kind of faith. That's really what God's looking for. And Rahab's story reminds us just how God's economy really works. 
He's not really measuring us based upon our failures in life. He's measuring us based upon our faith. And the Lord's looking for simple, bold, courageous kind of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us it's without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans chapter 1, again, it's written just as it's written even in the Old Testament. The righteous will live by faith. And again, in Romans chapter 4, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. In other words, he's a great man of faith because he's a man of faith. Even before he did anything, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, we, we go back in our story. Let's go to our story of Joshua. And um, this is installment number three in probably a dozen or so weeks. Uh, we step into the story finding that God's people have been told you, you have a promised land and they march all the way up to the brim of the promised land, but it's taken them 40 years to get there because of their lack of faith. They've not been obedient to the Lord and so the Lord waits for a whole generation to die off. And God calls Joshua to be the leader. As Moses dies, Joshua becomes the new leader and he's going to take them across the Jordan River and into this promised land. It's going to be wonderful, but they have to be great people of courageous faith. But all they've ever known is not courageous faith. All they've ever known their whole life is discouragement and gloom and doubt. And all they've done is scratch out an existence and move from one place to another. And all they've done is bury people. Think about it. If you had to bury a whole generation before you could move on to the promised land, you would be agitated with those people like, hurry up, Grandpa, and die so we can move on with our lives. We can settle. All, they were very nomadic people, a whole generation. And so because all they knew was defeat and moving and being nomadic and being fearful and being discouraged and weak, Joshua 1, the Lord tells Joshua, you have to be a person who believes well and is courageous and is not at all fearful. You have to be a courageous person of faith. That's the message to you and me even today. Be great people of faith. That's chapter 1. Now, we've gotten these people all the way up to the Jordan River. They're going to cross the river, go into the Promised Land. But before they do... Joshua is going to send two spies into that promised land. Before he, uh, they march in, he wants a reconnaissance trip. He doesn't want them to take over the land. He wants them to just sneak in, sneak out, tell us the, what's happening, how they're going to do it. He's not looking to see, and if you're taking notes, he's not looking to see if, if, if we can take the land. It's just a matter of how. It, not if we can take the land, but how. They had plundered, they had, they had plundered the opportunity earlier and missed it. They botched it by saying, well, if we can't do it this way, then God can't, obviously, we can't go in. So then they were afraid, and, and I think Joshua remembers that. Forty years earlier, there were 12 spies, and he was one of them. And he and Caleb were the only ones saying, let's go in and take the land. And there were 10 who just said, no, we can't do it. And because of that lack of faith, God made that whole generation die. And Joshua doesn't want to repeat that, so he takes in two spies, not 12 <laughs> Twelve's enough that you could spread some fear throughout the land. Two is enough to get the information without influencing the crowd. And so I, I think strategically, have you ever done something and then you, you, you're part of the losing team to that and then the next time you go to do something, you have these flashback memories of, well, that didn't go so well. So he's sending in spies again. He's going, oh boy, I, this, I hope this goes better than the last time because I don't have, frankly, I don't have 40 more years of wandering around waiting for this to happen well. What's going to happen is they're going to meet up with a woman whose name is Rahab, and what we're going to find is this kind of faith factor in her. And I'm going to give you the four points right now. The first I'm going to see is this. We're going to see that there's an honest moment in her life, and along with that honest moment, there's going to be a statement of faith from her. And that statement of faith will be closely followed by 
a heart for others, and then finally a life change. You're going to see a moving kind of change in her life, and it, it's convincing not only to her, but to the spies, to the two spies, and it saves her family. It is really, at the bottom line, it is saving faith. So, these two guys, they swim the Jordan River, they get across the river. As soon as they get across, they go through the foothills. Not a big deal. They go to the first city that they find, which is Jericho. Chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent to the two spies from Shittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute. What in the world are they doing? We sent you off and look what you did. Yeah, they went off and they went to the house of a prostitute, Rahab, and they stayed there. My lands, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Why would they do this? The guys went to scope out the city. They were not trying to raise any flags. And so they did what salesmen do. Sorry if you're a traveling, traveling salesman. But they did what guys on the road do. They went to a hotel. That hotel was run by a prostitute. And uh, you're wondering, why would they do this? But because they didn't want to lose their cover. They, don't want to, they can't say, hey, we, we can't eat that meat. We can't do this. We can't do that because we're, we're God's chosen people. You know, they, they don't want to announce this. They just want to fly in, in our terms, under the radar. They just want to come in quietly and get out. And so the way they do that is just they just act like a common person who's like a traveling salesperson. Isn't it funny, too, our body language, our mannerisms, the foods we eat, even the way we scoop food, the way we ladle it, what we do and how we do it, it, it it's, it's crazy, but we give ourselves away. You can tell by clothing, the way a person's posture is. You can almost tell... You know a person by the slang and the words they use and how those words end up, you know, where they end up uh, landing. I, I have a friend who never said the word, uh, do you know the word schedule? I use the word schedule, right? I, I, you know, you say, can I have an appointment with you? I'm going to check my schedule. He didn't say schedule. Do you know what he said? Schedule. I said, where did you learn how to say schedule? He said, in shul. But you give yourself away, don't you? You know, I was talking to a, a, a girl in our church, and she's from the Carolinas, and she said, I was out in the grocery store, and I tell you, they didn't have any more buggies. I had no idea what she was talking about. What do you mean no buggies? You don't even have a baby. Oh, not that kind of buggy. A buggy put my groceries in. I'm thinking, if it's not a baby buggy, it must be a VW buggy. She's from our country, but speaks another language. You can tell people by regions, can't you? Our mannerisms, what we do, and our training, how we do what we do. And that's what they don't want to be noticed for. So they're trying to act like anybody else in the city. Okay? So they go into the city under, the, under this cloak. They, they hide. But still, someone notices something. They say, hey, we think there's spies in the city. So where does the king go? The king of Jericho goes right to the prostitute's house, beats on the door and says, you got spies in there, bring them out. She opens her door and she says, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> they came and they left. In fact, I don't know where they went. But if you hurry, you could chase them down. They're probably in the foothills right now. You know what she was doing? She was lying. They were in her house, on her roof. She knew exactly where they were. They were under a pile of flax on a roof. Flax is a type of, you know, think of it as wheat, a wheat field. It's used for linen. It's used for making fabric eventually. She had piles of it, enough to hide some guys under. She, 
throws these guys under the flax, goes downstairs, answers the door, and lies like a pro. Why can she do that? How does she do that? She can, because she's a hooker. She's a prostitute. Lying is her native tongue. It's what she does best. I, I think, quite frankly, for her, just lying just became natural, just the way you get by. It was so convincing. I think it wasn't just her words. It's her body language, the twinkle in her eye, her urgency sense. Oh, yeah, they were here, but they left. I think she was so good at lying, even the military guys didn't, didn't even, it didn't even occur to them that, that she was lying. They took off to the woods looking for the guys. And it was so convincing that, that they take off, and then she heads to the roof. Now, and, and she begins to talk to the guys. But before I get to there, let me tell you this. The scriptures never condone her lying. They never condemn her lying, but they never condone her lying either. We know that God forbids lying. He is all about truth. Um, But this is a lifelong liar we have, and it just comes so naturally. It's her fluent language without conscience. She just lies. And you know what I find? is That's the way it is with our sin, too. Whatever your favorite sin is, whatever you're good at, that's just your default, doesn't it? It just kind of reboots and goes there. Whatever that sin is, doesn't really matter what it is. You know it. It just naturally happens to you. And that's why you have to put a guard over your heart, over the very natural tendency towards your particular sin. And I could name them, but it's as diverse as the crowd. So Rahab lies, and we have our sin. That's why sometimes at communion, at the Lord's table, you'll hear, occasionally, you'll hear the presenter say, do some examination of your heart. Or they'll say, confess your sins before the Lord. Or examine your week and see where you've wandered from the Lord. Keep short accounts with the Lord. Confess, admit, repent, do business with God. And we'll even give you quiet moments to do that. Why do we do that? We do that because we want you to be hard on your own sin because it, that's our default. That's where we go. And we want to be able to recognize our own waywardness. Here we have a believer. I think she really is a believer in God, but her native tongue is lying. And so I, I, I would like to think that, let's just suppose, and I don't know how it would end, what if she had told the truth? Well, maybe the guys would have climbed up on the roof and they would have forked through the the flax and not found, not found the, the soldiers, the two spies. Or maybe they would have missed them altogether, or maybe they would have gone blind. Or maybe, I think it had been cool, if Steven Spielberg had been there, they would have zapped them with angels from heaven. It was an Indiana Jones moment, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark moment. Anything could have happened. But what happened was, she lied, and the guys were safe. So we'll leave the story where it is. Now, here's her honest moment. After the soldiers leave, chapter 2, verse 8, before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof, and she said to them, and here's, here it is, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. In other words, we are scared to death because of you. Verse 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That's 40 years ago. We've heard that. We heard how you came out of Egypt, 
and what you did to Sion and Og, two other cities on the east side of the river, the east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And Rahab comes clean. She just breaks down. She says, I, we know, and, I, and she says, I know the Lord has given you this land. That's her honest moment. And faith requires that you be honest with yourself. That's very difficult work. It's hard for a prostitute to become clean. Let me tell you, it's even harder for a good person to come clean. Because you live in a place of denial, because you think you are clean. That's why we encourage you on a regular basis, examine your heart to not only see if you're in the faith, but if your faith is pure and holy, if your habits are right, and even your motives are good. But if you can admit, I'm a sinner and I've blown it, there's help. But if you can't admit that, there's little help and there's almost no hope. Because salvation is going to be hard to receive when you don't see the need for it. This prostitute knows that she can't make it apart from the grace of God. And the religious person might think, you could be sitting in the room thinking, I'm, I'm pretty good. I pay my taxes, I drive pretty close to the speed limit. I don't shoplift, I work my eight hours, I'm pretty good. And you probably are. But it's that much harder for you to admit, maybe, in that honest moment, I'm in need of a savior. And that's where she makes the statement of faith. She doesn't just stop there saying, I know the Lord's given you this, and it's from a distance. Pick it up at verse 11. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed. Now, you know, I think it's funny. In chapter 1, Joshua's told, make sure you your courage is on. And you know what's happening in chapter 2? Their courage is going away. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She's, she's admitting it right out loud. She's saying, I believe your God is the right God of the heavens and the earth. And she's saying, this is God's doing. Her faith is based upon the facts. And she knows, I'm an undeserving person in front of a very righteous but very gracious God. And she shows the kind of faith that the 10 spies, 10 out of the 12, didn't really have. She sees the situation for what it is. God is righteous, but, but he's also getting right down to it. He's very gracious. And her statement of faith now doesn't stop there. And that's good that she has this statement of faith. But, but her, you'll see a heart change happening now. You'll see her have a concern for others. Pick it up at verse 12 now. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Stop there. She's saying, show me kindness. It's this Hebrew word... and wouldn't really matter except that it's a word you might have actually heard of. The word in Hebrew is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And the idea of this is more than kindness. Our English translators did a good job, but in its, in its ancient form, it means not only kindness, it means a kindness kind of covenant. In other words, I will be kind to you, and here's the agreement. You'll be kind to me, but I will be kind to you, and I promise kindness. A little different than just the act of kindness. This is the agreement or covenant or a treaty of kindness. Now, in light of that richness of the text, we read, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show a kindness pact, a kindness kind of treaty, a kindness kind of covenant. So we're locked in an agreement. Why? Because I have shown kindness to you. In other words, I've gone first. 
So I really want you to lock in on this and guarantee the kindness. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. Stop. Does she ever say me? No, she doesn't. Not till the very end. This is a change of heart. She's saying, I'm more concerned for my father and my mother. Oh, yes, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Now, now she includes yourself, but not till the very end. That is significant. I think there's life, heart change happening, which will soon be seen as life change. And the guys just respond, our lives for your lives, verse 14. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. They're not even saying if the Lord gives us land. They're saying when the Lord gives us land. They're moving with, with this eyes of faith that God's going to give us this land, this city. And when God takes it over and we come in marching, we'll protect you. Here's a prostitute. Get this who's far from God, more concerned about herself than other people. That's a survival tactic. But now, this is a total turn for her. She's more concerned about her family, her parents, uh, her brothers and sisters, all the cousins. And Rahab wants assurance that when the city is taken, that they'll be safe. The guys say, sure, that's an agreement we can make. And then they add, but don't tell anyone and make sure you keep the people in the house or this thing's canceled because it's just too risky. And it's at that point that we see in Rahab, not just a heart change, but we see a whole life change. Now you have to hang on with this one because this one's really good when you see it. Verse 15, so they let them down by a rope through a window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Ah, Stop there. Jericho is a city that's built with a huge wall and they think 30 feet high, okay? And um, in the days, a few hundred years later, uh, Nehemiah would rebuild Jerusalem. That, that city, would, the walls were so thick that the guys actually rode uh, chariots on top of the wall. That's a thick wall. This wall wouldn't have been that thick, except uh, maybe it was two, three, four feet thick. But it still would have made a window to be almost a tunnel, if that makes sense. But it's 30 feet tall. Get this. And her house is up against the wall of that. But think of it more as a townhouse, will you? And so she probably has a main floor where she kept animals that wouldn't have been out of the line. And then the next layer she would have lived in, the next one would be bedrooms. She probably had a three-level townhouse, three-bedroom, two-bath, split foyer, 199.9, today only, okay? Beautiful view of the mountains out the window, you know, okay? That makes sense now? Now you see kind of her house is up against that wall, and so she could actually go up on the roof and see outside the city, although it's a long, long fall. Now, she's on the roof. They're under the flak. She's under this, uh, under this, uh, uh, under this grain, and they're, they're coming out from under that, and uh, she's going to let them down with a rope. Okay? Let's go back to text now. So she lets them down with a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Verse 16. She said to them, go to the hills, the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go, you can go your way. She, she knew the habit of the army. Okay? She'd watched this many times, probably. She knew after a couple days, these guys will give up. They only go out long enough as their, as their food you know, holds out. And then they say, well, let's go back. A couple days, this is it. So she says to them, go out, wait three days, they'll be gone. 
Then you can take off. By the way, take note of that. There's a rope, 30-foot rope. And there's enough, there's enough flax on the roof to hide two grown men. That's not a little bundle. That's a lot. Now, verse 17. Now the men had said to her, this oath you make to swear to us will not be binding on us unless, verse 18, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which now you let us down. So they're telling us, what color is the rope that she's being let down by? It's red. It's scarlet. That's important to note, okay? The scarlet rope, unless you've brought your father, your mother, your brothers, all, and your family into the house. In other words, you need to be in the house and you hang this red rope out the window. That's the sign. Don't kill the people inside that condominium. Okay? Now you can almost sense she, she's throwing the rope out the window or is up on the roof and they're tying it and, and they're ready to hoist out. And, and she says, oh, by the way, save my family. And they say, okay, you need to be in the house. And they can't tell anybody. And they're making this promise as they're backing down the wall. You can almost feel the sense of that. And they're saying, keep the rope in the window. The spies are probably thinking they're going to break through the gates. That's the only way to get in this city. They're going to break through the gates. There's going to be, there's going to be a war on the streets of Jericho. It's going to be a war zone with smash gates, smash streets, and they'll put people to the sword. So don't go into the street because once we start flaying, it's just going to happen. You're going to get hurt. So stay inside. And furthermore, if you come out and then say, hey, welcome to town, then the people of Jericho will know you're with them and, and the people of Jericho will kill you. So you can't win by coming out. You need to stay in the house and keep that rope hanging out the window. Verse 19, if any of them go outside of your house, the street, their blood will be on their own hands. We will not be responsible. As for those in the house with you, their blood will be on their head, if they, on our head. If a hand is laid on them, they're saying, we will protect you, we won't put a hand on you. Verse 20, but if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. See, this is more than just kindness. Get this now? This is not just a kind act. You just hold the door open for somebody. No, this is a pact. This is an agreement. This is a kindness covenant. And, and then she lets them down. They depart, and she tied the scarlet cord out the window. I, I, I think, frank, frankly, there's not only this honest moment, there's a statement of faith, there's this heart change, there's a life change. I think all that's happening. But this is a person living out her faith. This is life change. Do you know why I know that? It goes back to that rope. There's something about the rope. Now I think, frankly, she left the rope hanging out, but I don't think she left 30 feet of rope hanging down the wall. That would have been a security issue. A robber could climb the wall. So you don't leave that rope hanging out. I think she left a couple feet hanging out the window. And I think, frankly, she checked it every day or so because I think another family member could walk in and go, oh, what's that rope hanging out the window? And then drag the rope in. Have you ever done something and then had someone undo just the very thing that you did? You ever had that happen? I did that once. I thought I'd be, you know, Mr. Sunshine, unload the entire dishwasher until I got to the final set only to realize it never ran. Whoever rents these dishes did a really good job. And so now I'm going to wash the entire cabinet because I don't know which ones are clean and which ones are dirty. 
And why are we running the dishwasher all day? Well, it's a long story, honey, but someone tried to do good and did bad by trying to do good. It sounds like a country western song, doesn't it? Play a country song backwards, you know what you get? You get your girl back, you get your dog back. <laughs> the train comes back, your car gets better. Some of you have no idea because you don't listen to country and, and, and you're underprivileged for that. I feel your, feel your pain. So they let him down the wall, but she's got a 30-foot rope. She, I think she's checking the rope. And, the, and her family's saying, why, why are you hanging that rope? I can't tell you, but don't touch the rope. And by the way, don't wander far from the house. If you need to go into town for something, get back to the house. And if you see the Hebrews coming over the hill, run for the house. And if I'm not in it, you shut the door without me. You get in the house. That's what I think she said. By the way, what is a prostitute doing with a 30-foot rope? There's nothing good could come from that, unless you know the history of, of a scarlet rope. What's a, what's a prostitute, a hooker, doing with that much uh, flax on the roof that would be used for weaving? I think, frankly, she'd gone into a different business. That flax was actually for garments. She's probably in the weaving business. And that rope, that scarlet rope, and what we did in, in biblical days, we've done it all the way up until just the last couple hundred years, when people would make garments, they'd want them to be colored. Well, how do you color those garments? They would take rocks, smash the rocks, and that would create a mineral in the bottom of a bowl, a powder substance. They would take that, put water in that pot, put that pot on the, on the stove, on an open flame, until it boiled. When that boiled down, now all of that would, would froth up, and then they would throw a chunk of rope in there. And that, what that rope did, then is, as the water evaporated, guess where all that mineral went, or all that coloring went? It went into the, into the rope. And all the coloring went into the rope, and then they would sell one-foot sections of rope. And it might, this might be colored by some flowers or some grains, but generally some rocks or minerals. That's how they would color the rope. And then you would buy that rope, you would take it home, and when you finished making your garments, you say, okay, I'm ready to make the, I'm done making the garments, I'm ready to add some color. You'd boil water and you'd drop the rope in. And when you drop the rope in, poof, that rope would let out the, it's the original tie-dye right there. Isn't that cool? And you thought that was all invented at Woodstock. <laughs> and if you don't know what Woodstock is, I feel bad for you. And those of you who did go to Woodstock, don't remember it because you were using a different weed, probably, <laughs> now that I think about it. Some of you resent that remark, and others of you resemble that remark, but we'll just keep moving. They'd boil that, let the water get hot, put the rope in, and all of a sudden you had red liquid, you drop your garment in there, and that's how you dyed, that's how you dyed the fabric. I think, frankly, she'd gone into a new business. Her life had changed, she was doing fabric, and because all you need is about 12 inches, and that would do three or four or five garments. A 30-foot rope, that's enough for over 100 garments. That's stock. That's no, no, no normal person would have that amount in the house. That's enough for a lifetime for somebody. So I think what was happening is she's in a brand new business. It's a whole life change for her. So not only does she admit it, not only does she have a statement of faith, but there's this compassion for her family, a love real for her family. 
a kind of hesed uh, uh, kindness packed with her family, and it lives itself out with a life kind of change. And, and as that happens, I think what we have in Rahab is one convert in the whole city of Jericho. Now I want to leave Rahab and I want to talk about you. Because the faith she had is a great faith in God, but you have all the more reason because there's more of the Bible written and you have the final, the final demonstration of God's love is that he gives to us his son, Jesus. It's always been about faith, but God's made it even more personal. It's true, the righteous live by faith, and Abraham believed God, it was credited to him for righteousness. But you flip from Joshua now to Romans 5, verse 1, since therefore we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always been a matter of trusting God. But now that Jesus has come, he's making this way more personal. God is sending his one and only son to be the savior of the world. And his, com- his son's coming offers forgiveness of sin and new life and new hope and, and for a better life. And now you can have, Romans 5.1, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you get that through this grace that we have access. It changes the whole game. Further down, verse 6, you see that at just the right time when we were still powerless, in other words, you, you couldn't save yourself. Christ died not for the godly, but for the ungodly. Not for those who don't need it, but for those who need it. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You get that? Christ died for us, the ungodly. So this is the question. Has there been an honest moment, like Rahab had an honest moment with, with herself? Has there been that honest moment? I don't have what it takes, and I know God in heaven is the true God. That's number one. And is there's this statement of faith to say, you know what, I believe that God cares enough for me, but I need to trust him, and I need to trust his son. And you're saying, how do I have assurance of that? You'll have the assurance when you know there's life change in your own heart. Some of you say, well, you know, there's been no life change in me, but I I signed a card, or I went to a crusade, or I went to camp, or I raised my hand, or I prayed a prayer. Those are all very nice, but if there's not been life change, then my concern for you is this. Is that what you have is something close to faith, but not the real deal. And that's not something you want to play with. That's not, not something you want to take a chance on. You want to seal that deal. And I just encourage you, if you're not sure then make the commitment today to trust Christ and to make your statement of faith and ask God to change your heart and to put you on a new path for a new kind of life, a total life change. Admitting that you need God's help is wonderful, but you need to trust Jesus Christ. And you may be saying, you know, you, know, you don't understand me, Dave. If I told God everything I'd done wrong, you, you know, he'd be shocked. Well, probably not, since he knows everything anyway. I mean, the people around you might be shocked. You might be shocked that they're not shocked because people are people, right? They say, oh, yeah, that's pretty bad. You should hear what I used to do. Oh, stop. That's getting us nowhere. 
People might be surprised, but God will never be surprised. And God is making the offer. It's the Hesed act of, of kindness. To get this, it is his kindness packed with you to say, if you will come into my house and allow me into your life, I'll keep you safe. I'll prepare a home for you in heaven, John 14. I, I, will, I will take you not only to heaven, but I'll forgive all of your sins and I'll give to you a new life that you cannot deny. And when you, that happens to you, Romans chapter 6, how shall we say then? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase or that it will abound? By no means. Another version says, God forbid that that would happen. We, are died, we have died to sin, so how can we live in it? Chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Life change will happen, just like it happened with Rahab. And, and it's not a perfect life. You'll still struggle with your sin. And Rahab's we happen to know because it's written in the scriptures. Her sin that, that was her native tongue was, was lying. But for you, it's something else. And you may struggle with that. That's, that's part of being human. But you will see this grace abounding that you offer yourself not as an instrument for sin, verse 12, 13, but now you offer your, every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. Like Rahab, with a sacrificial love for those people around you, so it is, it's, it's the way it is with a believer in Jesus Christ. God places a new heart in you with a new kind of compassion, a new kind of care for others, and that mark of the Christian is an indelible mark of love. You will have a compassion that cannot be explained and cannot be dispersed, it cannot be dispelled, it, it will not be diluted. Ultimately, that pure love is so pure, it's going to start to look like holiness, because you're going to love people that don't deserve to be loved. Chapter 6 of Romans, again, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. See, the benefit you get is your love begins to look like holiness. And the result is eternal life. And the wages, the payment for that sin, is death. But the gift of God, what he's offering to you, is eternal life. If you have never personally trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm encouraging you to do that today. If you're not sure, I would make sure. If you say, well, I think I did, but there's not, I don't see life change in me, then ask the Lord Again, come back at this again because your life weighs in the balance and you talk to God just like I talk to you now and he promises, you come to me, I want you to be saved. That's the word from his word. He doesn't want anyone to perish but to come to repentance and faith and that's the opportunity that's yours. Let's bow together for prayer. For many in the room, this is uh, just a great reminder of how easy it is to get close to God and still be far, and we need to be people of valiant, courageous kind of faith. So for many of us, Lord, we tell you thank you for keeping the story of Rahab alive on the pages of your word. We want to be people of courageous faith. But for some in the room, this is your day to trust Christ personally.
maybe right where you're seated, you would just tell God in your own heart, dear God in heaven, I know, just like Rahab, I know you are the God of heaven and earth. I know I have failed you and I am far from you. But I know that Christ came near and I know that I need him. I am hopeless apart from Christ and I trust him to be my savior now. I'm going to encourage you if, you, if you're praying that right where you're seated this morning, ask the Lord, Lord, would you affirm that in my life? May I be able to share that with someone soon? And uh, may you give me the, not only the assurance, but help me on the next, not only just the statement, but change my heart to be more loving, more concerned about others, and may there be life change because I'm a new person in Christ. Thank you. And all of us together, Lord, tell you thank you for your word. And all of us together say thank you for the story of Rahab because all of us have a co-worker. Who are we kidding? We have a child, a son or a daughter or a parent who is a Rahab, who we think is far from you and, and may never come to the Lord. And this is evidence, again, to, for us never to give up on the people around us, co-workers and neighbors. It's a reminder that no one is so far from you that they cannot be saved. And, uh, and so, Lord, may we be the people who carry each other with faith when others don't have it. May we be the people who rise to the occasion and believe the best in others. And may we, we be Christ. And may we be hope. And uh, may we practice forgiveness and patience and gentleness and goodness with the people who need it the most. May we be the most loving people on the face of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Church says, Amen.